Last week, we were introduced to Barnabas, actually a man named Joseph, but he was called Barnabas by the apostles, and Luke tells us that the name Barnabas means son of encouragement, son of consolation. Uh, That word encouragement is a word that means to be an advocate, to stand by somebody and speak on their behalf. As I explained last week, Luke likes to introduce people in a very small way that will show up bigger later. So last week, Barnabas was just one of many who gave gifts to the church. Today he shows up again, but in the context of somebody else's story. And that's kind of the way Barnabas is. He shows up in the book of Acts in the context of somebody else's story. And today it's Saul. Now, Saul, just like Barnabas, Saul was introduced in a, in a very small way. In, in chapter 7, Stephen, uh, one of the first deacons, is stoned. He is the first martyr of the church. And when that is happening, we are introduced to Saul. That while they were stoning Stephen, Saul was there collecting the coats of those who were stoning Stephen. And it's just a little bitty. They laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. But what happened after that is Saul became enraged and desiring to to get rid of the church. And he started going from house to house, uh, arresting people who were members of the church and throwing them into jail. And then he requested letters from the Sanhedrin that he could go to other cities and arrest the church there because the church scattered. It went off into different areas. Saul was partly responsible for the church growing in ministry, moving beyond Jerusalem. And so he was given letters to continue to persecute the church, and he went to a town called Damascus. Now on the way, and this is what this this picture is about, on the way there, a bright light shined on Saul, and he was knocked to the ground, and a voice spoke to him, saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul said, well, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus. Saul was persecuting the church, and Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? Because Saul's actions were attacking Jesus. But he told him to get up and enter into the city, and that he would be told, what he must do. And so Saul went into Damascus. And for three days he fasted and he prayed. And God spoke to a disciple there in Damascus named Ananias. Another uh, unsung hero, you might say. A man just showing up in somebody else's story, but such an important person. Because Ananias knew who Saul was and he knew why Saul was there. And when God came to Ananias to say, Ananias... Uh, I want you to go and I want you to pray for this guy named Saul. I want you to put your hands on him so that he could be restored to to sight because he has been told in a dream that you're going to come. And Ananias said, Lord, heard about this guy. Not crazy about your plan. But God said, you just go ahead and go because I have plans for him. He is going to be my witness. And so Ananias went and he lay Hands on Saul, and he said to Saul that to be healed, to receive the Holy Spirit, and Saul was 
healed, he could see, he was baptized, and instantly he started proclaiming Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Just a complete 180 change. He started trying to convince other Jews to believe in Jesus. After a while, the, the Jews there in Damascus got tired of Saul's uh, behavior, and so they decided to try to kill him. And, and Jesus had told Ananias that Saul didn't know how much he was going to suffer for his, uh, his sake, for, for Jesus' sake. And sure enough, this is the beginning of the suffering. And so uh, they let Saul out of the city in a basket, and he runs away from Damascus. And that's where we're going to pick up the story, because Saul leaves Damascus to go to Jerusalem in the story of, of Acts. Saul explains to us elsewhere that he actually went away for three years into the wilderness and into other regions before he came to Jerusalem. But we pick up in verse 26. Here you have a man who last time he was in Jerusalem, he was going through house to house to arrest the Christians. And now, in verse 26, when he came to Jerusalem... He was trying to associate with the disciples. He had associated with the disciples in Damascus. He was trying to associate with the disciples in Jerusalem. But they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. Here he is. He wants to associate with the church. And what do they say? We don't want to have anything to do with you. They're afraid of him. And no wonder. Here he was. They probably, he had probably gone into their homes. Just think about what position this early church is in. This is the guy that went into their homes. Maybe he is the guy that took their Aunt Bessie to jail. And now he shows up and he just wants to be a part of them? Now he just shows up and he wants to hang out with them? No, they're afraid. This is a trick. Leopard doesn't change its spots. They're afraid of him, and for very good reason, and they don't truly believe that he was a disciple. They think it's all a charade. They think there's something going on because no way did a guy who was so zealous for the Lord turn so quickly. In fact, Saul later on, as he's writing to the Galatians, he talks about this in Galatians chapter 1, verse 13. He says, You have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. He doesn't mince words. He said, I did it beyond measure. I tried to destroy the church. And then he says in verse 14, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. He says, this is how bad I was. This is just how much against the church I was. Is it any wonder that they don't trust him? Is it any wonder that they're afraid of him? Because they have seen the harm he has done. There have been people like this throughout history who have done horrible things and then become believers, and it is hard for others to accept and believe. I was reading a, an article about Andrew Jackson recently. He, he did some bad things. A man, uh, he was a president of the United States. He was the hero of the war, Battle of New Orleans. He had hate in his heart almost all his life. He hated the British. He had reasons, personal reasons, but he hated them dearly. 
And it was in the, the latter part of his years, about the last five years of his life, there was a revival going on in the city. And he went and listened. And later on, his daughter invited the pastor to come and, and visit with him. And, and he said, the pastor said, you've got to love your enemies. You can't follow Jesus and have hate. And Jackson said, I, I can love other people. And I can even love those you know, that are against me, but you want me to forgive and to love those who, who did me harm? Not going to do it. And the pastor said, well, you're not going to go be with Christ then. And after some time, Jackson, Andrew Jackson finally got to the point where he was willing to put away his anger and his hate to his enemies, even those who had harmed him. Because you've got to understand, as, a, as about a 10-year-old kid, he had received a, a saber wound from a British officer during the Revolutionary War. He hated the English. But he finally put it aside and was accepted Jesus and was baptized. Now what's funny about this article is in the comments of this article, one person said, my ancestors, Native American, and were part of the Trail of Tears, I will never forgive Jackson. And I think they were supposed to be a Christian. I'm not sure. But exactly his attitude, exactly his hate to the British, here is a person in 2021 saying, I'll never forgive him. 100 years later, two, well, good night, 200 years later, I will never forgive him. Some people can't accept that a person like Andrew Jackson can have that kind of a change. Some people can't accept that a guy like Saul can have that kind of change. Maybe, maybe there are people in your life that can't accept the change that happens when Christ comes into your life. You know, and, and when you start following Jesus, it may take time for people to accept the new you. They don't quite believe, oh, you're really going to go into all this stuff? You're not, you're not going to continue in the ways you used to? Really? And they're waiting for a person to go back. They're waiting for a person to give up on their faith. And it takes them a while. I think sometimes as we grow in Christ, it can take people a long time to accept the new you. Even as we grow in Christ, every now and then I'm reminded of stuff I said 20 years ago. And it kind of hurts. To think, wow, I used to be that, that way. Even as a believer, as a young believer, I used to speak that way. I used to say those things. I used to think those things. And sometimes old friends will uh, say things about me because of the way I was in college. And I'll just be like, oh. You know, and they're brothers in Christ. They love me. And I'm sitting there thinking, that is not me anymore. But that's who they remember me being. And that's who they remember Saul being. That he was a murderous zealot trying to destroy the church. And it's going to take them time to accept the new you. They don't quite believe it. And maybe sometimes when we come to faith in Christ, people don't quite believe it. And it's going to take, and we got to be patient with them. And I hope that, that Saul, he probably recognized they have every right to disbelieve me. They have every right to doubt me. Look at what I have done. 
The problem is, is that we don't have that right in Christ to not love our enemies. We don't have that right to say, you did me bad, I'm going to do you bad back. The world has that right, but Christians, those who follow Jesus, don't have that right. But Saul may be in his way thinking, he's like, it's okay. It's all right that they feel this way about me. I can understand. But in verse 27, we're told Barnabas took hold of him. The, the church, the disciples are afraid of him. They do not want to associate with him. But Barnabas took hold of him. That word to take hold of means that he lay hold of him. He seized him. He went after him. He grabbed him. He lay hold of him. And whether he actually put hands on him and dragged him to the church or not, he pursued Saul and didn't allow Saul to go off on his own way. And he brought him, he took hold of him and brought him to the apostles. So, so the, the person that they're afraid of, that they don't want to come in and associate with them, Barnabas comes dragging in. And he brings them to the apostles and then he described to them how he, how Saul, had seen the Lord on the road, and that he, meaning the Lord, had talked to him, Saul, and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. There's a lot of third-person things going on here. He, him, he. Whether it was Barnabas describing or if it's Saul, the, the Greek is vague. Our translations have, have solved it for us and said he and in the context of that verse, you feel like Barnabas is the one speaking. We don't know how this went about, how Barnabas learned this information. We don't know if Barnabas took a hold of Paul and, or Saul excuse me, and talked to him for a while and, and found out this information. Maybe some news had traveled from Damascus. Maybe Barnabas had heard about what Saul had done in Damascus, preaching Jesus and how the Jews had wanted to kill him. News doesn't travel back then as fast as it does today. But maybe he had heard. Or maybe he just was willing to take the risk and listen to Saul and ask Saul, what has happened in your life? And in believing Saul, then he turned around and takes Saul to the apostles and says, listen, it's genuine, it's real. This is his experience. This is what happened. This is how he has proven it by the stand that he has taken for Jesus. Now, the word encourager, the son of encouragement, you know, the Barnabas, it means to be an advocate. And this is exactly what he is doing. He brings Saul in and he is advocating on his behalf. Barnabas stood with Saul as an advocate and used his good word, his character, his... Uh, I'm, that word is escaping me. His reputation. And he, he gave Saul the benefit of his reputation. It reminds me of, you know, when Jerry stepped down from being the pastor here. Uh, and then we had Tom Beeman. You know, we, we, we appointed Tom as the executive director of the church. The staff members, Greg and, and Jay and Daylene, they shared with me when I showed up how things changed for them that all of a sudden church members were questioning them, questioning their use of money, questioning their, their we're going to do this thing, we're going to do that thing. And they realized 
that they had been trading off of Jerry's reputation. They had been doing things and acting in ways and, and taking initiatives that maybe worked out, maybe didn't, but they didn't hear about it from, from you all. If they heard about it, it would only be from Jerry. And they didn't realize just how much Jerry was a buffer for them. An advocate, if you will, that, that if you know, somebody said, oh, wow, they're doing a really crazy thing in the youth ministry. I can't believe they're doing that. Well, they, that person would go to Jerry. And so the staff members, they didn't realize until he was removed. And they started experiencing the things that he had experienced on their behalf. Just how much of an advocate he had been for them. Just how much he had stood for them in those ways. And, and, and we're not talking serious. We're not talking harsh. It was just, you know, all of a sudden they were being asked, well, why are you doing that? And they thought, well, you've never asked me that before. Why are you asking me now? Well, because Jerry wasn't there anymore. People trusted Jerry. They had only been around maybe for a couple of years. People didn't trust them as much as they trusted Jerry. Same thing is happening here. People don't trust Saul, but they trust Barnabas. And Barnabas is using his position, his reputation, and saying, you guys, you need to understand and accept Saul. Isn't it a blessing when somebody stands up for you and says, hey, this is a good person. Come on over. Trust this person. Put them in charge of this thing. Put her, let her do that. They can do it. At some point, we all need those people who will advocate on our behalf, who will stand with us and, and encourage us and say it's going to be okay. And, and that's what... I, you know, for all we know, this is why Barnabas gets this name, because of his willingness to take the risk to reach out to Saul when everybody else wants to keep him at arm's length, and to bring him in and advocate on his behalf in front of the, the, the apostles. It's not the apostles that the people who walked with Jesus who are, who are taking the stand, it's Barnabas. And what's the result? After Barnabas explains to them how he had met Jesus on the road and Jesus had spoken to him and he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus, in verse 28, and he was with them, moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. What a change. Now he's with them. He was against them. Then they were against him. They weren't quite so sure, but because of Barnabas and his actions, his willingness to take a risk on behalf of the church and on behalf of Saul, now he was with them. He's moving freely among them and in Jerusalem. He's speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. And in verse 29, and he was talking and arguing with the Hellenistic Jews. These are Jewish people who have moved off out of Jerusalem and out of Judea and live in Greek towns. So they're Hellenistic in, in the sense Greek Jews. They are still Jewish people, but they might not look quite as Jewish, they might not even be able to speak Hebrew the way they used to, and maybe they can read it. They're, they're people who are following Judaism, it's their ancestral religion, but they're living in a vastly different culture. They're the people that he is going to be going off and ministering to in the future. In these different cities, he would always go into the synagogues. Hellenistic Jews are the people that he's going to be ministering to in the future, but right now, He's arguing with them, and they don't like him. Funny thing, if you go back to, to Acts chapter 6, the thing that got Stephen in trouble was speaking and proclaiming Christ, and in the same time, it was the synagogue of the freedmen, the Cyrenians, the Alexandrians. 
These are the types of people. Same type of people. Not, not, the, not the Jews who live in Jerusalem, but ones who maybe feel that loss. And so they're a little bit more zealous. And here they are arguing with Saul. And it gets to the point where they were attempting to put him to death. Again, they're trying to put him to death. Much like today when the argument, if you can't win the argument, what do you do? You start calling them names. You start trying to put them to death. You start trying to find something so that you don't have to listen to them anymore. They can't answer his arguments. They can't answer his words, so they got to kill him. That's the only answer. Let's get rid of him. And so they do. They try to, and, but in verse 30, but when the brethren learned of it, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus, his hometown. When, when the brethren learned it, they've gone from, we don't want to have anything to do with you, to we've got to protect you. They've gone from, from fear to care. To, that Now they care for him, and so they send him away. And verse 31 tells us, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace, being built up or, or edified, and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it continued to increase. And, 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 and so the picture that we are given here is one of, 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 of blessing and peace and joy, just as, as the end of a lot of the segments of Acts so far has been after a little bit of struggle, oh, things are going good. We're growing still. After some kind of a struggle, oh, things are going good. We're growing. Well, here was the struggle with Saul and with the attacks from the Hellenistic Jews, and they send him away, and the church is enjoying peace, and it's being built up, and it's going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And that word comfort, that word comfort is the same noun that is used to describe Barnabas as son of encouragement. Comfort and encouragement, in the Greek, it's the same word. Paraclesis, to be a paraclete, to be an advocate. So, so they are operating in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the consolation. And, and here is Barnabas, a man who lives out that comfort of the Holy Spirit. He gives comfort to, to Saul. When the church didn't want to have anything to do with him, Barnabas gives him comfort, says, stand by me. I'll speak on your behalf. I'll advocate for you. What it's trying to show us here is this change in the church's attitude towards Saul. And that because of their attitude that, that they, they care for him now, there is a picture of peace for the church. And the idea of blessing. And, and, and what we can see in there is, is also that they trust the Lord. They're walking in the fear of the Lord. And remember, earlier they feared Saul. What does Jesus tell us? Should we fear those who can only kill us, but after that can't do anything? No. We shouldn't fear one another. We shouldn't fear humans outside of here. What we should do is fear God. And if we fear Him, we will not fear others. Because He is greater and mightier. And there is nothing a person in this world can do to you that He does not allow. And if he's allowing it, then we don't need to fear it. We can trust him, even if it's painful, even if, it's, if it causes us sorrow, we can trust him. And because they trust him, because they have fear of the Lord, they are blessed. 
And I would say to us that we will be blessed if we trust in God and care for one another. We can't leave that other part out. You know, Jesus said on these two, uh, on these two commandments, all the law and the prophets rest. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, if we trust Him, if we fear in the Lord, that is our showing Him love. And if we care for one another, we are showing that we love our neighbors. And the sad thing is, is the church hasn't done a very good job at this. If we look at our history, and, and recently I've seen some, you know, in, in, in getting ready for the 4th of July, you know, there's a lot of patriotic videos out there. and Some of them have, have speeches and segments from the, the civil rights movement and the marches. And you know, one of the sad things about the 50s and the 60s is the church, the white church, did not care for its brothers and sisters who were black. Not, not in a tangible way. There are not a lot of white pastors in southern states and cities who stood up and said, this treatment is wrong. That showed care. A lot of times what they did was they said, hey, you guys, calm down. Stop doing that. You're making things, making things difficult for us. That's why Martin Luther King Jr. from the, his letter from an Alabama jail, he says, you guys keep telling us to wait. We have waited way too long. How can we wait? The church has not done a good job of showing care for one another. Unfortunately, now we're seeing it again these days. It's not quite the same. It is nowhere near the same experiences, but we're getting there. And I don't know that you need to have the same outcome to say that the heart issue is wrong. But there is still a lack of care among the church. There is a lack of care to see what's going on. Now there's a desire to, to gain more power for certain populations, certain ideologies. And there seems to be a, a, a distinct lack of trust in the Lord. We've seen this in the last year. Church has fought itself. We've been so afraid of so many other things. I think about you know how, how the church didn't want to have anything to do with Saul. They didn't want to associate with him. They, they were afraid of him. They didn't believe he was a disciple. And, and fear keeps us from, from getting close to one another. Fear keeps us from interacting with one another. Fear of the other person. Fear of what they might do to us. They were afraid of Saul because he had been a murderous person. But what have we been afraid of being around people for in this last year? Just because it's a virus doesn't mean it's somehow made a better thing. We were still afraid of one another. Instead of trusting in the Lord, churches have divided. And we have experienced it. And we haven't cared for one another. It's been a focus on what do I need? What do I want? Both sides. Almost everybody has been motivated by a personal desire. We have not cared for one another. Is it any wonder that things seem to be in turmoil for the church in America? We don't care for our brothers and sisters. We don't trust God. We're too busy thinking about the next 
elections. We're going to make it all right with the next elections. We're going to fix it in the next elections. We hope in chariots. We hope in armies. We need to hope in the Lord instead. I love the fact that Barnabas, he took the risk. It wasn't enough for him to be free to move about in Jerusalem. It wasn't enough for him to be accepted by the disciples. His freedom wasn't enough. He wanted Saul's freedom too. He wanted Saul to be able to be free to walk among the disciples to proclaim the Word of God. And so he brought him in. He stood with him. And he advocated on his behalf. I want to ask us today, are we operating in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit? Are we trusting in God for, for our lives and for our endeavors? And are we focused not instead of what we want, but on caring for one another? Are we focused on doing what needs to be done so that those who do not know Jesus Christ might hear of Him and have the opportunity to repent? Are we willing to take that risk? I know I don't always. I read a book recently and, and the author talked about that he shares Jesus with people because he loves them and he doesn't want to see them go to hell. And I thought, you know, gosh, I don't share Jesus with people the way this author does. I'm sure I have just as many opportunities, but I just don't, I don't view it that way. I wonder if there's a lack of love for these people in my life that I don't share God, Jesus with them. Is there a lack of love in our lives for those who are lost? Maybe. But I want to ask you today, are we, are we trusting in God? Do we care about one another and about those without Jesus? Or do we just care about ourselves, our kin, our friends? I think Jesus would have us care for the others as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we, Lord, we thank you that you care for us. Our example is you your love for us, that you sent Jesus. That you weren't content to let us continue in our sin, but that you intercede in our lives. You convict us through the power of your Holy Spirit. And you call us to faith in Jesus, to repentance. And it's not because you're angry with us, it's not because you don't like us, it's because you love us. Lord, we pray that we would love one another as You have loved us. That we would seek to share the, the message of Jesus Christ with those who are perishing. Who do not believe, who are, are going about their lives. In this world today, whatever you want to do is the right thing, the best thing. And it seems that the more depraved your desires, the more right you have to live them out. And we can... We can recoil from that. We can, we can turn away from it. We can 
keep it at arm's length because we, we don't want to be associated with the sin and with the, the ugliness of it all. But Lord, You call us out to care for the least of these. To share the Gospel with those who are suffering and perishing. Lord, we pray that our hearts would be softened to those who are living in wickedness today. That we would love them and that we would show that love by, by going to them. By taking hold of them and sharing Jesus with them. Lord, we pray as we look at that that we would not fear the people around us or the culture that we live in, but that we would fear You. That we would trust in You. Trust in Your provision. Lord, for the ways that we as, as Your people have operated in fear in the past, as we have distanced ourselves from one another and torn ourselves apart, we ask for Your forgiveness, Lord. We pray that we would go forward in the fear and the comfort of God our Father and the Holy Spirit. That we would live as Christ has lived in us. We ask, Lord, that we would be advocates for those who are perishing today and for those who are maybe are on a different side of an issue than we are that we would care for one another. We pray and ask that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.